Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by news editor Emma Powell. How are you doing, Emma? Yeah, very well, thanks. Good. And uh, Megan Boxer, how are you doing, Megan? I'm very good, thanks. Excellent. Okay, lots in the magazine this week. The features have all been written by third parties, strangely. But loads of news. You asked me for loads of news pages this week, Emma. There's a lot going on. Lots going on. So we're pretty much talking just about news this week. Um, I'm pretty sure some of the the feature stuff will weave its way into this podcast as a result of what you've written in seven days. Let's start with seven days. Since you've kind of alluded to the features, Bitcoin is our is our cover feature, isn't it? It's, it is uh, indeed. So we had a little thing in um, in seven days about uh, you can now get Bitcoin futures. See me. Hedge, yeah, to kind of hedge against their wild fluctuations. I wouldn't like to be writing those things. Well, we wrote, I, when we went to press yesterday, the price of Bitcoin was $6,500. Today, it's $7,000. It's insane. So, so what, what's, the, what's the implication? Is, does this legitimise Bitcoin? Well, Is it, I mean, what's your, what, what do you think? Some people... I don't think you can legitimise Bitcoin. Maybe that's my own personal bias. This is meant to be kind of moving it more from the kind of fringes into the mainstream that investors, you know, can now actually hedge against its movements. I still personally think you'd be nuts to invest in Bitcoin. Well, I mean, you say that, you say that, and and, and I've written about this in my editorial as well, because I I just wanted to bring in uh, a tweet that I got from a reader a while back who told me you should write something about Bitcoin. Well, yeah, we were going to. And Julia, for sure, wrote uh, a, a, a great feature, you know, kind of explaining the nuts and bolts of it. When was that? Back in May? Yeah. And I got, a, I got an email from a reader saying, my friend is going to sell his flat and put the whole lot on Bitcoin. And Madness. I was just, what? But he's a millionaire now. If, he's, if he did what he said he was going to do, he's a millionaire. Yeah, but how, yeah. how long do you hold on to your investment, oh. is what I'm saying. At what point... Does it go? Yeah, I, d- I don't know. But if he if he's if he's sold out today, then then he's a millionaire. He well, buy a nice, much nicer, risk, much nicer, very flat. high risk strategy. Yeah, so. yeah, it, it is a it is an interesting subject. It's got a great feature written by Neil Wilson of ETX Capital. I mean, he, he's really questioning whether what it is. I mean, is it a commodity? Is it a currency? Is it an equity? I mean, the, the fact that we can't even answer that question. And in fact, uh, what's his name? Mohamed al Arain came out today and said, it's a commodity, not a currency. So, so you know, the, these debates are, are ongoing. And therefore, how do you value the thing? Impossible, isn't it? I would have said it's impossible. And, you know, I'm kind of fearful here because I, 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 I cut my teeth in, in, in markets during the dot-com boom. And I'm, I'm kind of seeing the same sort of thing going on. Talking of which, we've had a trainer uh, company IPO today. Mm-hmm. Foot I know Harriet's not, here to, Harriet's not here to write about that, but, but you know, you, you must have had a look at this. Foot Asylum. Yeah, Foot Asylum. It's kind of like, it's like trendy trainers, isn't it? Yeah, I'd never heard of it. But you I said have. You've I've, seen, I've, seen seen them on the, I've seen them on the high street, yeah. Mm. Really? Yeah, yeah. No, I'd never seen it before. Cardiff, I've, seen, I've seen them. I've seen them in London, so that's two edges of the country at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I just, the reason it struck a call with me is because I remember when, when uh, the dot-com boom was in full swing, there was a company called Boo.com. Do you remember Boo.com? No, I can't say I do. Boo.com. Graham, over in the control room, you remember Boo.com, don't you? You're, you're as old as I am. I certainly do, John. <laughs> yeah, I, I cut my teeth in the dot-com boom as well. And now I'm a digital editor. Fun yeah, The irony of it. The irony. But Boo.com was not successful. Burned through a huge amount of, of, of cash. What and, did and they do? Trainers. They sold trainers on the internet. Right. The uh, dial-up era, when, you, when it took half an hour to download a picture of the trainers you actually wanted to buy. N- not the time you want to be selling trains on the internet. Not really, not really. But Foot Asylum's more shops, actual physical stores, isn't does it, have a, it? does have a lot of physical stores. That sounds I'm going bit... off anecdotally because I see them around. Yeah, but surely, surely the, the, the trend for retail now is online. 
Well, maybe, yeah. maybe not for trainers though. You want to try your trainers on. You don't want to be shopping for trainers. Yeah, on. You know what size you are. Once you bought one pair of Nikes, you know what size your uh, your Nikes are. Should be, don't you? Mm, I haven't bought I a pair always of trainers try and for a long tra- time. Tra- trainers on. I'm too old to buy trainers now. <laughs> that's just not true. What do you mean that's not true? Well, I don't do you, sport, do I? When you go so, for your long runs, yeah. you're training for a marathon at the moment. My, the longest run I ever do is from my car to the station when I'm running a little bit late. <laughs> it's 200 yards. <laughs> and my boots are all right for that. Uh, anyway, let's, cra- let's crack on. What else have we got in the uh, seven-day section? What else have we got? We've got uh, EasyJet is buying some of Air Berlin's assets in uh, Berlin Tegel Airport. I hope I pronounced that right. Obviously, Air Berlin went into administration... Um, it was a few months ago now, wasn't it? We also have results from Ryanair, and they were, they were surprisingly good considering what's been going on there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, considering all the kind of disruption that they've had, but I do know um, some analysts think that actually they may take a lot of the pain during next year as well. For well the kind of disruptions that they've had. Well, they've had to put their uh, pilot salaries up. Yeah. So, so that that that's surely an ongoing cost. Yeah. The the, the fundamental cost model has changed. Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about a bit last week about the whole how low can you go mm. in terms of how low can you keep cutting your costs. Well, this is obviously backfired now, isn't it? Well, they're still raking, raking those profits they are, they're still, in. So, yeah, they're uh, still increasing passenger numbers. So, Oh, God, I just remembered. Rate rise. Yes, rate rise. Uh, well, you say rise on the horizon. Well, the well, hori- I, I, we're over I, the horizon uh, now. I, I, I was, as we went to press, it was being very priced in that the rise was going to happen. I think it was very well flagged. Pretty much everyone thought it was going to happen. Yeah, the pound, the pound took a bit of a pummeling, though. It uh, did, yeah. But, I mean, everybody... It would have actually been more interesting, I think, if they hadn't increased rates. Then the pound would have taken even more of a pummeling. Um, I think the reason the pound has taken a pummeling today is because I've heard uh, one of the six million comments on the rate rise I've had in my inbox today, yeah. quite a lot, I, got, I think I got through about three of them before I got bored, <laughs> was that this is a dovish rate increase, i.e. there's not going to be many more a particularly high velocity over the next few years. Yeah, and Mark Carney's kind of indicated that as well. That it's he flagged the fact that actually this wasn't gonna, they weren't gonna do anything dramatic. That this was gonna be. I don't think it's now gonna be, you know, in the same way the Fed has maybe in the US, even though they decided to hold rates on Wednesday this month. I don't think you know we're gonna see the same general kind of uptick keep going now. Mm, um, mm. Not for a while anyway. Because this growth, UK growth is still weak. I, I mean, growth, I know we've got. I think growth everywhere is quite weak. Yeah, really. yeah. But I mean, this isn't. You know, people talk about inflation, but it's it's cost push, isn't it? Well, I think they've also said that the inflation uh, is going to peak. It's, I mean, it's the approaching year, the yeah. peak because this was it, this was a technical sterling related mm. um, inflationary spike, um, and actually, inflation, if you measure it in the context of growth, is virtually non-existent. Yeah. All right, well, that's, that's encouraging. Uh, let's talk about tech giants. Um, what's this story here? Tech giants. We've had all the all the Q3s from, I think Apple came out. Apple is, uh, isn't actually out yet. As we came down here, it still, still hadn't come out. But um, Ooh, yeah, keeping actually, us on tenterhooks. Yeah, they really are. Q3s tip. from, uh, yes, it is a tip, from, um, from the big US companies. The rest of them have all reported, and they're all amazing. Like, all the earnings beat, apart from Amazon, which doesn't really seem to make any money, but revenues are... As amazing as ever. Um, so share prices were all up again to record highs. Amazon is now $1,100 per share. 
it's an incredible amount of money. Yeah, I mean, the US, share. the US shares do, I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's the market cap that matters. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, there is, there is actually a school of thought that high share prices do actually influence investor behaviour, but there you go. That's mm, uh, interesting. But yeah, so what do we think about tech? I mean, you know, is this, is this a roller coaster that we should stay on? or? Uh... Yeah, well, I'm relatively positive about US tech. I think it's, um, there's a lot talking about how the, it's so expensive and it can't carry on forever and we haven't had this much growth since the just before everything went bust in uh, in 2000 so but it's very different now these are quality companies they're not just ridiculous fast growing making no money burning through cash they've like, apple's got so much cash and yeah it's stuck overseas at the moment but i've had donald trump this week and i know mark talks about that in his um in his column about how um how the tech giants may be able to repatriate their cash sometime soon well i mean the tax the tax uh proposals yeah could potentially be a massive earnings boost for yeah these, huge these companies. yeah Where so yeah i think i mean it's still still going it's they're still growing and they're still i mean in the case of apple it's not even that expensive i mean yeah it is the biggest company in the world but actually for what you're paying for it's not a particularly expensive company hasn't been for a long time no it's def- definitely if, uh, one of those companies that sort of managed to keep up with expectations yeah yeah and if which uh, were never that great can, no everyone is always quite down on on apple no matter how well it does until it actually proves that the numbers are good and so that's what the numbers will be today um analysts are hoping for 46 million iphones sold in q3 and that will be good but yeah it's a funny one this one because People haven't been that keen on the iPhone 8 because the iPhone 10, which comes out tomorrow. So that's the one that... I got the iPhone X. <laughs> it's iPhone X, iPhone 10. <laughs> Apple want you to call it iPhone 10, but... Oh, do they now? Yeah, but I mean, what are they going to do when the actual iPhone gets to 10? Anyway, that's a different question. The is iPhone it... 10 is the $1,000 one. I've got to say, mobile phones to me are the same as trainers. They're, um, it's just a phone, man. Oh, it's not though, is it? Yeah, sure. Whatever. Whatever. The new one, the iPhone Ten. You can look into it and make your panda emoji dance in the same way that your face is moving. Who doesn't want that? (laughs) Who doesn't want that? I'm told. Where do I get one? My contract's coming to an end. Anyway, uh, let's let's move on to another aspect of uh, the US corporate reporting season, which is uh, pharmaceutical. That's not been so great. No, it um, hasn't really been a very good week for US pharmaceuticals. Specifically, unfortunately, Merck had a really bad Q3 update. Um, Merck is a really interesting company because it's got this drug, um, cancer drug, which is phenomenal. And it's selling so well because it's the first immuno-oncology drug to be approved for any kind of cancer, regardless of where it is located in the body. Explain to us what that means. So the drug which has been developed uses your own immune system to fight the cancer compared to chemotherapy which just sort of whacks out all the cells and radiotherapy including lots of other stuff as well yeah yeah yeah. so uh, so it's a much safer treatment and it's a actually a much more effective treatment but when you get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer you are given a drug which is specifically designed to treat pancreatic cancer but this new this drug from merck called keytruda it has been approved to treat all cancer regardless of of its location and it's it's depending on whether you have a certain marker in your in your cancer cells it's called pdl1 um so it's all like very complex science but it means that they're really really efficient for these people with the specific type of cancer how many people how many you know what sort of percentage of the patient population would that be then? it's it, it is it is a high 
it's a huge percentage of the overall cancer population because it is for all cancers. But PDL one, I mean, it completely varies. In that, I don't think there's any definite metric as to how many people have PDL one, how many don't. It depends what kind of cancer it is. I think breast cancer, there's a higher rate of people with this specific marker. It's a genetic thing. Okay. Um, but the po- patient populations are enormous. Um, but this sounds like the holy grail. This yeah, is what it we're is, looking for. Amazing. I mean, we, you know, we, we we started that feature when when Harriet was covering uh, your beat, uh, Harriet Russell. Uh, yeah. We started that feature finding the cure. You know, because there was so much stuff you know, being written in the popular press. Yeah. Oh, cure, new cure for cancer, new cure for, new cure yeah. for cancer. And we were trying to put some kind of rational uh, explanation behind what was actually happening. This sounds like the holy grail that we've been looking for. Well, yeah, and it it kind of is. It is a really amazing. It's actually not as efficient as another drug which um, has been produced by Novartis. And that has efficacy rates of about 80%, which is unheard of. But it's $500,000 for for your treatment. So it's just not really going to be available to that many people. And that's the same problem with all of these new drugs. They're so expensive. So this is kind of what's happening now with US pharmaceuticals. So is, is this why it's not translating into mega profits from, from day one and why not, it's not underperform, it's underperforming our expectations? The key, key to actually isn't underperforming. It's everything else in Merck which is underperforming. That's unfortunate. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they've lost a lot of... Um, patents in the last few years. Keytruda's doing very well, but they've decided to withhold or even withdraw their application for um, European approval, which may be a pricing thing as well. I'm I'm not really sure. They're also trying to sell their consumer division. There's a lot going on at Merck, which isn't like, it doesn't say this is all going fantastically well. They've kind of pinned everything on this one drug, which is performing well, but it's not enough to offset all the other things, including a diabetes drug, which the sales have just been hammered by a supply thing. They also were part of the um, the digital cybersecurity incident earlier in the year. So it hasn't been a good quarter for Merck. But So this drug, this one drug, it could like regenerate all hopes but like pricing is is making it quite tough for all the US pharmaceutical companies. You've also written about Glaxo this week. I mean Glaxo yes. is an income favorite of UK investors. We we've actually written, I mean Philip Philip Ryland has written about Glaxo before suggesting that there is a degree of financial engineering that allows it to keep paying its dividend. And in fact the, the we've continued the Phil Oakley series this week with uh with a number of companies that uh, we think may be on the cusp of a dividend cut including yeah. BT which we might talk about in a minute. Yeah. But Glaxo Income stalwart, under threat. Almost definitely. So GlaxoSmithKline had Q3 results as, as well this week. But within the results, Emma Wormsley, who's the chief executive, she, I don't know whether it was a, an error that she actually said this, but she, she said that they would consider buying a consumer healthcare division, which maybe or may not be put up for sale. By Pfizer. By Pfizer. Or actually Merck as well has also said it's going to put its consumer healthcare division up what, for what sale. What do you mean by a consumer healthcare division? So toothpaste, paracetamol, that's the... Cons- consumables, like yeah. non- non-prescription consumables. So non-prescription drugs, which yeah. have slightly more secure sales, but the margins are obviously nothing compared mm. to what you what you can charge for a prescription drug. Isn't this what we always expected Glaxo to do when she became the, the chief Yeah, executive? so this is what the problem is, and this is what I have such a problem with Glaxo about. They appointed this, this lady who's clearly extremely capable. She had from L'Oreal, didn't she? She did, yeah. And then she headed up the consumer healthcare division. So the share price collapsed because everyone was like, oh, she's going to focus on consumer healthcare, which was a completely valid thing to say. Well, that was the thing that people wanted pharma companies to do because of the the uh, uncertainties over patent Well, costs. some did. And the cost of developing like drugs. People like Neil Woodford really hate that. People who really want to invest in pharmaceuticals, they want pure pharma, which is what AstraZeneca and Shire and all the big pharmaceutical companies... 
That, that's how they can pay these massive dividends. And that distraction for the consumer, yeah, it smooths out the top line a bit. But actually, if you're being innovative enough and if you're developing new drugs which are coming to the market as your old ones are dropping off, then it shouldn't be too much of a problem that your revenue kind of comes in peaks and troughs. But so GSK's strategy, the last few years of Andrew Whitty's tenure as chief executive, was like bulk up the consumer healthcare division, don't rely on the pharmaceutical, so like the actual prescription drug sales so much. Emma Wormsley came in and everyone thought that would be like the continuation of the strategy and people didn't really love it. So the share price was going down. Then in her first few sets of results, she was all, we're going to focus on pharmaceuticals, drug sales, like that is going to be our priority, which is great. The share price has been going up and up and up this year. And then the first option that comes up for her to, to buy bulk up the consumer healthcare division, it looks like they're going to take it, even though they do not have the money to do it. So why specifically are we worried about the dividend? Because, for that exact reason, they don't have the money to actually build up that consumer healthcare division. Their cash is in pretty good shape because they sold a load to Novartis because a couple of years ago. borrow more cash than pay it. Their, their debt is just horrendous. It's, or, it's already a thousand times shareholder equity. They just they can't take on that much more debt. And the the Pfizer business, they're thinking, is probably going to be worth about $20 billion. GSK aren't going to be able to pay that without taking some of the money that they pay towards the dividend out. And also, if they continue to invest in the consumer healthcare division, which I don't actually think is the worst strategy, just admit you're going to do it, cut the dividend, and then start again. But the consumer healthcare division isn't going to be able to support at such a high dividend mm. which currently is yielding close to five percent do they not have the money to do both because from an outsider's perspective somebody that doesn't cover pharma i would always think oh but it's quite a good bit of diversification yeah you have the steady returns of consumer and then you can you know invest and have those big kind of blockbuster breakthroughs or does it not work like that well it isn't really working like that at gsk and it's also been a problem for johnson and johnson which has done like a similar strategy if they put too much money and time into the consumer healthcare division the actual pharmaceutical drug sales seems to sort of fall onto the into the back foot a bit and there was an article written this week like they need to decide what they're going to do consumer healthcare or drugs they they just don't have the money to do both well let's talk about um on this subject, I think this is very relevant to uh, the case of Rekit Benkissa, mm. for example, which you have also written about this week, which actually seems to be a rare piece of good news from the pharma sector this week for Indivior. Yes. But, you know, they, they I, I think they seem caught between those two stools yeah. of being a, a, a kind of household but products group actually... and, a, and a drugs group. And, and no yeah. one, and it, and it kind of always seems to drag on the, the view of the They're actually another one who's considering buying Pfizer or Merck's consumer healthcare division. So, makes sense. Yeah. But it kind of makes more business, sense. That... They dumped. They, so they sold that a couple of years ago in Divya. I don't know if the reasons for that were they wanted to get out of pharma or they just wanted to get out of Divya. Oh, it was a nightmare. I, I used to cover that sector. It was a nightmare. No one could ever work out, you know, whether, whether they should be valuing this mm. or that. Yeah. And, mean, and it did make sense to split the two it, up. Yeah, it did. And, and there were lots of question marks over whether they were in Divya or, or Suboxone, mm-hmm. which it was at the time. It was obviously just the products within Reckitt Benkissa. But, 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 you know... It made sense for that to, to, to be a standalone company, but there were question marks over whether it would succeed as a mm. standalone company because there were lots of question marks over whether Suboxone could stand on its own two fees and yeah. whether generic competition would eat it for breakfast. Mm. But it seems to be doing okay. It's Yeah, so done okay this week. I mean, it's had such a volatile share price this year um, because, well, firstly, the drug you mentioned, Suboxone, which is it, its only drug, the company's only drug, mm. and 80% of its sales come from the US. They've got all these patent challenges 
And if a generic or an unbranded drug does launch, that's going to completely hammer their sales. But this week, finally... But they've been worried about that for years and it yeah, hasn't really yeah. happened in the way that, that some of the more bearish uh, views on, on Indivior or Suboxone would, would have suggested. To be honest, I think that's taken so long because these legal challenges have been going on forever. There are, there are so many of them, um, so many companies that are trying to launch their own product. I mean, partly this is the, the reason why it's an attractive market for, for generic competition is because there is a I mean it's often it's widely talked about uh, I think Louis Theroux did mm. a programme on it recently the opioid crisis in America yeah so, I mean it's extraordinary oh it's yeah it's really sad it's just such a massive problem and uh, Indivia actually had Q3 results as well today and their Suboxone sales are only growing because the market is getting so much bigger so quickly and also because more of the doctors and more of the sort of regulators are coming on like getting used to the fact that this is a massive problem there are more doctors who are being allowed to treat it because before you had to have a specific license and it's difficult to treat opioids because you treat them with more drugs and it kind of it's a replacement drug that does it's a replacement drug yeah which is meant to help wean people off it but a lot of the problem is actually prescription painkillers and it it is it's a really sad event which is creating a a very good market for um, drugs companies to try and exploit and there are so many of them trying to do it but Indivia has or it's almost got the go-ahead for its second drug um, this week which is why the share price was up so much and it is actually it's the same like active ingredient but it's taken in a one monthly injection which is really attractive because drug addicts are quite high dropouts so if you only have to take one monthly injection that's great news for Indeed. But we're still reasonably uh, cautious on this show. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's quite time to buy yet. Talking of ad addiction, same page, fixed odds betting terminals. Yes, another form of addiction. Well, it is a, absolutely a form of addiction. I, I had not realised, I must have, I used to cover this, I did not realise you could stick £100 every 20 seconds into these machines. It's madness. And they call it the crack cocaine of gambling. It is, it is madness. But yes, finally, after the government's review, they have decided... They are definitely going to reduce the the limit from £100 to either £50, £20 or £2. Please do it. Please make it £2. £2, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, shareholders in the, the gambling groups, but this is bad it's stuff. It's terrible, yeah. And I think they'll be affected to varying degrees, but um, it'll be quite a big hit to their revenues if this does happen. Well, the, um, indeed, the, the, the high street uh, estates, that is, that is their bread and butter. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it was Paddy Power Betfair had um, their Q3s and they said they made about 8% of their revenue from these um, these fixed or betting terminals. And I guess it'll be wait and see now as to how the limit is set. What, what, what does the market think? I mean, surely, I mean, with, with this threat hanging over them, what mar- does the markets think of the shares? I mean, was there a sell-off? Well, funnily enough, on the day this came out that they were definitely going to reduce the limit, the shares were either flat or actually slightly up in the gambling companies, suggesting, I think a a lot of people knew this was going to happen. They weren't going to escape the fact that they were going to have this limit set on them because I think the the public support for it has been massive. Yeah, God, powerful news section this week, Emma. Um, (laughs) Let's let's quickly talk about BT. Uh, As I said, Phil Oakley's looked at that this week uh, in terms of his company's risk of dividend cuts. From a free cash flow perspective, BT looks okay, but we're a bit worried still. Yeah, so the results um, came out today and they're really not good. And actually we said, so in the the magazine we've written about um, the news that came out this week, which Openreach, which is obviously their division which is no longer technically separate part company of, still owned yeah. by BT 100% yeah, owned really by BT yeah, yeah. Well, um, well done Ofcom yeah yeah. well actually I mean it seems, seems like the um, the split has kind of got what everyone wants because mm, sure. Open Reach <laughs> <laughs> Open Reach are now saying that they are going to invest I mean everyone, everyone apart from consumers maybe might be 
an aside, my BT phone bill is the biggest rising bill I have had. If you forget energy companies, my BT broadband cost has just gone through the roof. It, I don't even know how it's happened. Well, but they're proudly talking today about how average revenue per user is up. The thing yeah, I well, can't because understand... because they're charging me more and I can't switch. So they say their mobile average revenue per user per month is £26. And I was looking at EE's um, like offers. There is There are like two contracts which are less than £20. How is that average revenue per user so low for mobile when they're offering that like 80 it's weird isn't it couldn't work that one out but yeah they, they're charging a lot for like TV and sport and broadband which phew, so expensive I don't even buy those things unless my bill is still 50 quid a month yeah. the flip side of this open reach thing though which is what you allude yeah. to is the fact that they yeah they might do this investment but then they, they want um, to be allowed to increase their prices again yeah. so great the reason I don't switch is because I have a, a BT email address and I can't move it and you know at some point I'm just going to bite the bullet and say do you know what sod it Traps you, yeah. Yeah, I can't feel trapped by, 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 but that's by some of the problem that I think the government have. BT is like a massive, powerful machine and it controls all of the broadband of the whole of the UK. So, Openreach saying it's going to invest, but we're only going to do this investment which we need to have a digital future in the UK. We're only going to do it if we're allowed to raise our prices, our wholesale prices. Indeed, but from a shareholder's perspective, that makes sense because the amount they're going to have to invest in infrastructure, the amount they're going to have to invest in sports rights. Mm does put their dividend under threat as well. Oh, 100% and the pension as well. And the pension deficit. The pension right. deficit. Oh, how could I forget the pension deficit? I mean, there's just so much of BT going on, it's easy to forget all the all the separate things. But yeah, in their results today, they talk about how TV is going up. So 7,000 new TV um, customers this year, but that compares to 63,000 new TV customers in the same period last year. So there's not a lot to be proud of in the TV business. No, and, and, and actually just turning to Phil's feature very quickly... Uh, the pension, the deficit in the pension, the actuarial deficit is uh, will require two billion of cash mm. to be injected into it over the next two years. That's a huge amount. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's your old stomping it ground, is. Emma. Pensions, pensions. Yeah, it's it's a massive. Well, it was formerly publicly owned, wasn't it? So they've got this massive pension scheme to find benefit pension scheme. I mean, I wonder what the funding level is, but I think you said the deficit at the Q3 7. 7 was, was seven point seven billion. Yeah, exactly. So they have to fund that somehow now. It might require £2 billion cash, which is what obviously the trustees of the pension scheme will want. But um, obviously they've got this triennial valuation coming up, which will then say, you know, what the what the definite kind of funding level is. They'll then enter um, discussions, management will, with the trustees of the pension scheme to agree a new funding plan. That's another area of uncertainty for the company. But of course, um, so, and of course you've got the uncertainty over where rates and, 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 uh, exactly. and bond prices are going, exactly. uh, which, which perhaps we ought to revisit at some point yes. soon. Yes, um, but exactly. But it's, you know, it's another... The, the trustees might want £2 billion pounds of cash, but if the company says we can't, you know, they also have a duty to their shareholders and a duty to keep the, the company, you know, financially viable and growing. They've got to try and balance those things. So they might actually look rather than just giving them cash at things like contingent assets and, you know, other ways of funding. But it's interesting. Yeah, interesting time. it's a really, tough really time is. for BT, I think. But yeah, we did say in the article this week, I mean, if trading is starting to improve, it might even be a time to buy because the share price has been completely hammered this year. But the results are so terrible that... I mean, I just think it's going to go. It's got further to fall. It's there's so much going on. I wouldn't buy it. No, after today, I would. I'm still saying, say, stay clear for now, yeah. even though it is really cheap. Yeah, yeah, cheap, che- cheap for a reason. For a reason. <laughs> cheap for a reason. Um, yeah. Graham, should we head over to Simon? Hello, Simon. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay, John. I've covered seven companies this week. Trading opportunities with the magazine. Um, 
um, column with four, four interesting trading plays in that. I, I was going to talk about Bloomsbury Publishing, which is one, of, one from the magazine column, but the one that actually catches the eye today is BioQuell, which is a specialist in biodecontamination equipment. This, this, um, is, the, uh, this is the MRSA company, isn't it? it, it exactly. It's one of my bargain shares last year, and I, I got the readers in at about an average price of 125 or so. And back in the summer, covered the... Um, half-year results and whacked up my target price from 180 to 250 well that that target price was hit this week so it's decision time you've doubled your money the interesting thing here is that when i covered those results i mean they were fantastic half-year results revenues up a fifth pre-tax profits 400,000 up to 1.4 million house broker put through earnings upgrades after my article of 28 percent pre-tax profits and earnings to jump over 50% this year. I've been looking at the currency matrix on this because three quarters of their sales are overseas. And what's interesting timely is that the Bank of England have just increased interest rates, doubled it from a quarter to half of 1%. Indeed. Exciting times, eh, Simon? Well, I wouldn't say it's not exciting (laughs) because the narrative was um, expect probably another two quarter percent rises over the next two years, which um, was not what the market was expecting. So sterling has taken a tumble post the announcement. And uh, this is significant for Bioquel because in the first half of the year, 27% of their sales were denominated in euros. And those were pushed through at 1 euro 16. At the end of the first half, end of June, the exchange rate was one euro fourteen to the pound. In the first four months of the second half, one euro eleven and a half is the average exchange rate. That's about where it is well, now, isn't it? It's back exactly, down to those sort of levels. Yeah, exactly. It's roughly one one euro twelve as as we talk now. The, the point here is that if you've got cost of sales in the UK and you're selling unhedged overseas and they sell into the US as well, and sterling's taken a big tumble against the dollar today. The point is that the extra cash that you're actually getting in is going to drop straight through to the bottom line for for those revenues. And what I'm saying is that the house broker, despite the fact he's increased his earnings targets estimates by 28% after the half-year result, I think they're pretty conservative. And I expect Bioquil in the next well, by the end of the year, to come out with a trading statement basically saying we've beaten those forecasts. And on the basis that the company is highly cash generative, its end markets are very, very strong, it's got cash of worth 20% of the share price, so stock price £2.50, cash 52 at the moment, and that's growing. I don't think 19 times cash-adjusted earnings forecast is a punchy price to pay for a company where the earnings risk is could be quite heavily to the upside. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say, so I, I, I must admit, I'm, I'm a sceptic when it comes to the currency uh, windfalls because I can I can just as easily see them reversing at some point in the future. But what I, I'm interested in is you, you talk about this as being in a, a very internationally diverse business. Tell me about that. That, that sounds fascinating because... You know, we hear about MRSA and the NHS, but this is this is clearly a global problem looking for a solution. I know, totally. I mean, to give you some idea, one of their products is um, it's like a modular aseptic workstation for hospitals. It incorporates a technology which is patented. It's The technology is hydrogen peroxide vapour, and it's basically used to provide a, an aseptic environment for sterility testing and production of toxic oncology drugs, intravenous oncology drugs. Well, sales of that product, which were only launched at the end of last year, doubled in the first half this year, and that's just one product that it's launched. And these are like international products, not just UK hospitals or 
life sciences um, companies that they're actually selling into. I mean, it's 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 a global thing. So, so, um, so, so it's taking so presumably it's taking some underlying technology that it has, some underlying science, and, and, and applying that to to an increasing range of products. Well, it's increasing demand for the whole healthcare industry to comply with regulation to combat the threat posed by antibiotic-resistant via MRSA Mm. or C. difficile or strains or viruses like that. And it's also this increased amount of research into small-scale production associated with cell-based healthcare products as well. So it's these products are actually feeding into those markets, those end markets. And that's why its revenues shot up 20% in the first half. And my, my point was that when... When the company gave guidance at the end of July, and management said that they, you know, they, they could do another 14 million worth of revenue in the second half, the exchange rate is a lot lower now than it was then. So you'd expect profitability, the margins it's earning in the second half, to be a lot higher, and that's that's just not in the price. Okay, so, fantastic. So, so what, what are we talking about in terms of uh, your your target price now? Well, I, I increased my target price from which had already gone from 180 to 225 to 250. I've now increased it to 270. But if if this company actually over delivers again, and I can, I can see that happening, then you know it it could actually go to three pounds. I mean, it would not be out of place given the the operational gearing of this type of business or the earnings upgrades I'm expecting for a target price to actually be £3. So it could potentially be between 10 and 20% upside. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Simon. So uh, have, we, have we got you next week or are you, uh, are you off writing no, a new no. book? Uh, no, I'm, I'm on holiday next week, John. And then I'm back on the 22nd of November What's for a few the... days. And, and th- then it's, it's book writing time What's after that? that. Okay, can you give us any clues where you're going with the new book? It's number three, isn't uh, it? It's, it's, no, it's number three in the series, and um, it's, it's going to be the secrets of successful stock picking, um, taking some of the systems I use and showing readers how to actually do it for themselves and successfully. And, and also, you know, looking at occasions when things haven't worked out and what you've actually learned from it, so you don't try and, you know, stay, stay clear of the mistakes you've made. Indeed, so, indeed. Often the most important thing to, to learn from, actually, I would, I would suggest. Well, well, exactly. I mean, the most important thing for investing is not to lose money in the first place, and then it's far easier to make it. So, if you can, if you can avoid the mistakes, then, then you know, putting into practice some of the trading systems uh, could be quite profitable. Okay, sounds great, Simon. Uh, have a wonderful holiday, and uh, we'll speak to you. Well, I'll speak to you with your uh, couple of days back in the office, and or not in the office, wherever you're likely to be. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the book. Great, it's great. Thanks, John. Thanks, Simon. See you later. Okay, cheers. So that just about wraps it up. It's, it's actually, a, a, as I say, an action-packed issue. Lots of news this week. I mean, an incredible amount of news. Quite, quite a powerful news section, like I said. Um, and lots of features too, uh, as well as a, as a critical look at Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We have the Phil Oakley article. We have a summary of uh, savings tax from our, from our friends at Blick, Blick Rothenberg. And Philip, uh, Ryan has updated his 50 uh, object series. We're almost getting to the end of that now. It's feel, felt like a, a marathon there, although I, I realise we forgot to put his name on the feature. Sorry, Philip. Lots in the magazine, lots in the personal finance and funds section, which they will talk about tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, please uh, pick the magazine up. Bitcoin, Gamble or Goldmine? Is it the new Klondike or... Uh, Actually, if it's the new Klondike, then we're all doomed. (laughs) So uh, thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, pick the magazine up, £4.90, all good news agents, or get online and subscribe. Thank you very much. Speak soon.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 